0: Listening to the Mystical City of God and Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volume, over 2500 page work by the Venerable Maria Vagrata. If you would like to discuss today's readings, head on over to Facebook and find the Mystical City of God and Year podcast group, and there you'll be able to share your own thoughts and insights about today's readings with others who are listening and following along. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who have proclaimed the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example in holy life and wish to be taught by her today. We are reading from Volume 3, Book 6, Chapter 25, Paragraphs 743-754. to 754. Chapter 25 How the Queen of Heaven consoled St. Peter and the other apostles. How prudently she acted after the burial of her son. How she saw his divine soul descend to the limbo of the holy patriarchs. 743 the fullness of wisdom in the soul of our great Queen and Lady amid all her sorrows permitted no defect or remissness in noticing and attending to all the duties of each occasion and at all times. By this heavenly foresight, she met her obligations and practiced the highest and mo- most eminent of all the virtues. As I have said, the Queen retired after the burial of Christ to the house of the Senecal, remaining in the hall of the Last Supper in the company of St. John, the Marys, and the other women who had followed Christ from Galilee. She spoke to them and the apostle, thanking them in profound humility and abundant tears for persevering with her up to this time, throughout the passion of her beloved son and promising them in his name the reward of having followed him with so much constancy and devotion. At the same time, she offered herself as a servant and as a friend to those holy women. All of them, with St. John, acknowledged this great favor, kissed her hands and asked for her blessing, They also begged her to take some rest and some bodily refreshment. But the queen answered, My rest and my consolation shall be my son and lord arisen from the dead. Do you, my dearest friends, satisfy your wants according to your necessities, while I retire alone with my son? 7.44 Thereupon she retired with St. John, and being with him alone, she fell upon her knees and said, Do thou not forget the words which my son spoke to us on the cross? He condescended to call thee my son, and me thy mother. Thou art my master, art priest of the Most High, and on account of this dignity it is meet that I obey thee in all that I am to do. And from this hour I wish that thou order and command me in all things, remembering that I shall always be thy servant, and that all my joy shall be to serve thee as such until my death. This the lady said with many tears, And among many other things, the apostle said, My mistress and mother of the Redeemer and Lord, I am the one who should be subject to thy authority. For the name of a son implies devotion and subjection to his mother. He that has made me priest has made thee his mother, and was subject to thy authority, though he was the creator of the universe. Luke 2.51 It is reasonable that I should likewise be so. That I labor with all my powers to make myself worthy of the office he has conferred upon me to serve thee as thy son, for which I would desire to be rather an angel than a creature of the earth. This answer of the apostle was most appropriate, but it did not avail to overcome the humility of the mother of virtues, who answered, My son John, my consolation shall be to obey thee as my superior, since such thou art. In this life I must always have a superior to whom I can render my will in obedience. For this purpose thou art the minister of the Most High, and as my son thou owest me this as a consolation in my solitude. Let then thy will be done, my mother and St. John, for in this lies my own security. Without further answer, the heavenly mother then asked permission to remain alone in meditating on the mysteries of her divine Son. And she asked him, who also to provide some refreshment for the holy women who had accompanied her, and that he assist them and console them. She reserved only the Marys, because they wished to persevere in their fast until they should see the Lord arisen. And she asked St. John to allow them to fulfill their pious desire. 7.45 St. John then parted from her in order to console the Marys and to execute the commands of the Great Lady. Having attended to their wants, these pious women all retired to spend that night in sorrowful and mournful meditation concerning the mysteries of the Lord's Passion. In such heavenly wisdom the Blessed Mary labored amid the floods of her anxieties and afflictions, without ever forgetting the least point of the most perfect obedience, humility, charity, and prudent foresight for all that was necessary. She did not forget to attend to the necessities of these pious women, nor did she on their account forget anything that was necessary to the experience of the highest perfection in herself. She approved of the fast of the Marys as being strong and fervent in their love, and she took heed of the weakness of the others. She instructed the apostles in his duties toward herself, and proceeded in all things as the instructress of perfection and the mistress of grace. All this she did with the waters of tribulation had entered to her very soul. Then, remaining alone in her retreat, she let loose the impetuous floods of her afflicted love and permitted herself to be possessed interiorly and exteriorly by the bitterness of her soul. She renewed in her mind the recollection of her divine son's frightful death, the mysteries of his life, his preaching and his miracles, the infinite value of the redemption, the very church which she had founded and adorned with the riches of the sacraments and the treasures of grace, the happiness of the human race, now so copiously and gloriously redeemed, the inestimable fortune of the predestined who should really obtain that happiness, the dreadful misfortune of the reprobate who, by their own fault, would make themselves unworthy of the eternal glory merited for them by her Son. 7.46 In the deep consideration of these high and hidden sacraments, the Great Lady passed that whole night weeping and sighing, praising and glorifying the works of her Divine Son, his passion, his hidden judgments, and the rest of the high mysteries of divine wisdom and unsearchable providence of the Lord. All of them, as the mother of true wisdom, she contemplated and understood, conferring sometimes with the holy angels at others with the Lord himself concerning what the divine influences caused her to feel in her own purest heart. On the following Sabbath morning after four o'clock, St. John entered to console the sorrowful mother. Falling on her knees before him, she asked him for his blessing, as from her superior and a priest. Her new son on his part asked it of her with tears in his eyes, and thus they gave their blessing one to the other. The heavenly queen begged St. John to meet St. Peter, who was looking for him on the way to the city. She ordered St. John to receive and console him kindly and bring him to her presence. The same he was to do with the other apostles— giving them hope of pardon and offering them her friendship. St. John issued from the cenacle and shortly met St. Peter, who, full of shame and in tears, was timidly seeking the presence of the great queen. He had just come from the cave, where he had bewept his denials, but he was now consoled by St. John and encouraged by the message from the Heavenly Mother. Then these two went in search of the other apostles. Having found some, they together betook themselves to the cenacle. Hoping for pardon. Saint Peter entered first and alone to the presence of the Mother of Grace, and falling at her feet, he said with great sorrow, I have sinned, Lady. I have sinned before my God, and have offended my Master and thee. He could not speak another word, further speech being stifled with tearful sobs and sighs, which came from the depths of his oppressed heart. 747 The most prudent virgin, seeing Peter prostrate on the ground and considering him, on the one hand, as doing penance for sin, so recently committed, and on the other hand, as the head of the church, chosen by her divine son as his vicar, did not deem it proper to prostrate herself before the pastor, who had just denied his master, but neither would her humility suffer her to withhold the reverence due to his office, in order to conform her action to both these circumstances." she resolved to show him proper reverence without disclosing her motive. For this purpose, she fell on her knees to do him reverence, at the same time concealing her intention by saying, Let us ask pardon for thy guilt from my son and thy master. She prayed for him, revived his hope by reminding him of the merciful behavior of the Lord in regard to well-known sinners and pointing out his own obligations as head of the apostolic college, to give the example of constancy in the confession of the faith. By these and other arguments of great force and sweetness, she confirmed Peter in the hope of pardon. Then also the other apostles presented themselves, prostrating themselves before the most blessed Mary and asking pardon for their cowardice, and forsaking her divine son during his sufferings. They wept bitterly over their sin, being moved to greater sorrow by the presence of this mother, so full of sorrowful pity. Her wonderfully sweet countenance caused in them divine movements of contrition for their sins and of love for their master." The great lady raised them up and encouraged them, promising them the pardon they sought and her intercession to obtain it. Then all of them, in their turn, related what had happened to each in his flight. Though the blessed lady knew all, even to the last particulars, concerning these events, she heard them all kindly taking occasion from what they said to touch their hearts and confirm them in their faith in their Redeemer and Master and of arousing in them divine love. In this, the heavenly lady "...completely succeeded, for they all went away from this conference, burning with new fervor and justified by new increase of graces." 748 These were the occupations of the Heavenly Queen during a part of the Sabbath. At the approach of evening, she again retired, leaving the apostles now renewed in spirit and full of consolation and joy in the Lord, yet also full of grief for the passion of their master. In her retirement during this evening, the Great Lady contemplated the doings of the Most Holy Soul of her son, after it left the sacred body. For from the first, the Blessed Mother knew that the soul of Christ unites the divinity, descended to limbo in order to release the Holy Fathers from the subterranean prison, where they had been detained since the death of the first just man that had died in expectance of the advent of the Redeemer of the whole human race. In order to speak about this mystery, which is one of the articles of faith pertaining to the most sacred humanity of Christ our Lord, It seemed best to mention that which has been given me to understand about this limbo and its situation. I say, then, that the diameter of the Earth's sphere passing through the center from one surface to the other measures 2,502 leagues, and from the surface of the center 1,251 leagues, and according to the diameter is to be calculated the circumference of this globe. In the center is the hell of the damned as in the heart of the Earth, the hell is a chaotic cavern which contains many darksome dwellings for diverse punishments, all of them dreadful and terrible, all of them together from a vast globe like a huge round jar with an opening or mouth or vast expansion. In this horrible dungeon, filled with confusion and torments, were the demons and all the damned and shall be there for all eternity, as long as God is God, for in hell there is no redemption. Matthew twenty-five forty-one, seven forty-nine. To one side of hell is purgatory, where the souls of the just are purged, and where they cleanse themselves if they have not satisfied for their faults in this life, or have not departed from this earthly life entirely free from the defects incapacitating them of the beatific vision. This cavern is also large, but not as large as hell, and though there are severe punishments in purgatory, they have no connection with those of hell. To the other side is limbo with two different divisions, the one for the children who die unbaptized and tainted only with original sin, without ever good or bad works of their own election. The other served as a retreat for the just, who had already satisfied for their sins, for they could not enter heaven nor enjoy the vision of God until the redemption of man was accomplished, and until Christ our Savior should open the gates of heaven, closed by the sin of Adam. Psalm twenty-three nine. This cavern is likewise smaller than hell and has no connection with it, nor are there in it the pains of the senses like in purgatory. For it was destined for the souls already cleansed in purgatory and implied only the absence of beatific vision or pain of privation. There also stayed all those who died in the state of grace until the death of the Redeemer. This is the place to which Christ's soul descended with the divinity, and which we refer to in saying that he descended into hell. For the word hell may be used to signify any of the infernal regions in the depths of the earth, though commonly we apply it only to the hell of the demons and the damned. This is the most notable meaning of this word. Just as heaven ordinarily signifies the em- Empyrean, the habitation of the saints, were there to dwell forever, while the damned remain forever in hell. The other parts of hell have also the more particular names of purgatory and limbo. After the final judgment, heaven and hell are only to be inhabited, since purgatory shall become unnecessary, and since the infants shall be transported to another dwelling place. 750. To this cavern of limbo, then, the Most Holy Soul of Christ our Lord betook himself in the company of the innumerable angels who gave glory, fortitude, and divinity to their victorious and triumphant King. In accordance with his greatness and majesty, they commanded the portals of this ancient prison to be opened, in order that the king of glory, powerful in battles, and lord of virtues, might find them unlocked and open at his entrance. At their command, some of the rocks of the passage were rent and shattered, although this was not really necessary since the king and the army were immaterial spirits. By the presence of the most holy soul, this obscure cavern was converted into a heaven and was filled with a wonderful splendor to the souls therein contained, was imparted the clear vision of the divinity. In one instant they passed from the state of long-deferred hope to the possession of glory, and from darkness to the inaccessible light, which they now began to enjoy. All of them recognized their true God and Redeemer, and gave him thanks and glory, breaking forth in canticles of praise, saying, The Lamb that was slain is worthy to receive power and divinity and wisdom, and strength and honor and glory and benediction." Thou hast redeemed us, Lord, in thy blood, out of every tribe and tongue, and people and nation, and hast made us to our God a kingdom and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Apocalypse 59.12 Thine is, O Lord, the power, thine the reign, and thine is the glory of thy works. Then the Lord commanded the angels to bring all the souls in purgatory, and this was immediately done, as if in earnest of the human redemption they were absolved then, and thereby the Redeemer from the punishments still due to them, and they were glorified with the other souls of the just by the beatific vision. Thus, on that day of the presence of the king, were depopulated the prison houses of both limbo and purgatory. 7.51 But of the damned in hell this was a terrible day, because for the disposition of the Most High, all of them were made to see and feel the descent of the Redeemer into limbo. And also the Holy Fathers and the just were witnesses of the terror caused by this mystery to the demons and the damned. The demons were yet terrorized and oppressed by the ruin which they had undergone on Mount Calvary, as related above. And when they heard, according to their manner and hearing and speaking, the voices of the angels advancing before their king to limbo, they were confounded and terrified anew. Like serpents pursued, they hid themselves and clung to the most remote caverns of hell. The damned were seized with confusion upon confusion, becoming still more deeply conscious of their aberration and of the loss of salvation now secured to the just. As Judas and the impenitent thief had so recently and signally shared this misfortune, so their torments were greater and the demons were more highly incensed against them. Then and there the infernal spirits resolved to persecute and torment more grievously the Catholics and chastise more severely those who should deny or repudiate the Catholic faith. For they concluded that these merited greater punishment than the infidels to whom it is not preached. 752. Of all these mysteries and of other secrets which I cannot mention, the great lady of the world had a clear knowledge and vision from her retreat. Although this knowledge in the higher parts of being or in her soul, where this knowledge originated Caused her exquisite joy, yet she did not permit it to overflow in her virginal body, in her senses, her inferior faculties, to which it should naturally have been communicated. On the contrary, when she felt that some of this joy overflowed to the inferior parts of her being, she besought the Eternal Father to retard this overflow, for she did not wish to permit such enjoyment to her body as long as that of her Divine Son rested in the grave and was not yet glorified. Such a careful and faithful love was that of the Blessed Mother toward her Son and Lord, that she strove to be a living, true, and perfect image of the deified humanity in all respects, attending thus minutely to the smallest particulars. She was rejoiced exceedingly in her soul while she still felt the sorrows and depression of her body in imitation of the state of Christ our Savior. During this vision, she composed songs of praise magnifying the mysteries of this triumph, and the most loving and wise providence of the Redeemer, who as an affectionate father and omnipotent king wished in his own persons to take possession of the new reign given to him by the father, and who now rescued his subjects by his own presence in order that they might commence immediately to enjoy the reward merited for them. For these reasons, and others recognized by her in this sacrament, she rejoiced and glorified the Lord as his helper and as the mother of the conqueror. Instruction which the Queen of Heaven, Most Holy Mary, gave me. 7.53. My daughter, attend to the teaching of this chapter as being the most appropriate and most necessary for the state assigned to thee by the Most High, and for the correspondence and love which thou owest him. This requires of thee that in the mildest of thy labors and intercourse with the creatures, whether in commanding or governing as superior, or obeying as a subject, thou do not permit thyself by any of these duties, or other exterior occupations, to neglect the attention due to the presence of thy Savior in the secret or the higher parts of thy soul, nor withdraw thyself from the light of the Holy Spirit and as constant communications. For my divine Son seeks in the secrets of thy heart such ways as are hidden to the demon, and to which thy passions have no access, for they lead to the sanctuary whither the high priest also can enter, and where the soul enjoys the hidden embraces of its king and spouse as soon as it prepares for him his chamber or rest, with a single and eager mind. There shalt thou find thy Lord propitious, the Most High liberal, thy Creator merciful, thy sweet Spouse and Redeemer loving. Then wilt thou not fear the powers of darkness, nor the effects of sin, which are unknown in that region of light and truth. But the soul, disordered by anxiety for the visible things, or careless in the observance of the divine law, will close up these ways. It will be embarrassed by the disorderly attachments of the passions. It will be hindered by useless cares, and much more by restlessness of mind, and by the want of serenity and interior peace, for the heart must be untrammeled, pure and detached from all that is not truth and light. 7.54 Thou hast well understood and experienced this doctrine, and moreover I have shown it to thee, in practice, as in the clearest mirror, namely, in my behavior amid the sorrow, sighs, and afflictions of the passion of my divine Son, and amid the solicitous cares, occupations, and watchings during his burial, and during the assistance rendered to the apostles and the holy women. During my whole life thou hast seen me act in the same manner, uniting the works of the Spirit with exterior occupations, without friction or hindrance. In order then to imitate me in all this, I require it necessary— that neither by the unavoidable intercourse with creatures, nor by the labors of thy state of life, nor by the hardships of this life of exile, nor by the temptations or malice of the demon, thou permit thy heart to desire anything that will hinder thee, or pay attention to anything which destroys thy recollection. And I warn thee, my dearest, that if thou art not very vigilant, and careful in this matter, thou wilt lose much time, abuse immense and extraordinary blessings, Frustrate the high and holy purposes of the Lord, and wilt grieve me and the angels, since all of us desire that thy conversation be with us. Thou wilt lose the quiet of thy spirit and the interior consolations, many degrees of grace, the desired increase of divine love, and finally the most copious reward in heaven. So much does it concern thee to listen to me and obey me in all that I teach thee with a mother's kindness. Consider it, my daughter, ponder it, and bend upon it thy mind, so that thou, through my intercession and by divine grace, thou mayest put it into practice. Take heed also to imitate me in the faithful love by which I abstain from the sweets of the inferior delights in imitation of my master. Do thou praise him for this and for the blessings he brought to the saints in limbo, when his most holy soul descended to free them and fill them with joy at his sight, all of which were operations of his infinite love. This concludes our reading today for day number 268. We've been reading from volume 3, book 6, chapter 25, paragraphs 743 to 754. Just a few things I'd like to point out for our consideration today. The fact that they return to the house of the Cenacle where they celebrate the last supper. And we know that this upper room is also where the Holy Spirit is going to descend as well. But remember when Jesus sent the two apostles to prepare the way? Well, tell them the master has need of this room. And they find, you know, the donkey outside. They find it just as how Jesus described. And now it would seem that whoever is the owner of this house with that upper room continues to allow these band of brothers and the mother of the Savior to remain there. Maybe they became followers of Jesus. And so they permit it. And Mary is able to remain there in these days of mourning after the resurrection, but there's mourning, there's sadness, but Mary knows and the other Marys know that they are going to see Jesus, that he is going to rise from the dead. And that's the second thing we hear. She reserved only the Marys because they wished to persevere in their fast until they should see the Lord arisen. So they're going to fast now from Good Friday into Holy Saturday until Easter Sunday. But they're going to do so until they should see the Lord arisen. They know that's going to happen. Now, in the church, there's what we call the Paschal Fast. And that takes place from Holy Thursday evening all the way to holy Saturday night. And it's kind of this idea of fasting during the Triduum. And it seems that that practice, this custom, this devotion is validated by Our Lady and the other Marys who were there at the foot of the cross. And in a sense, that fasting is saying there is emptiness within me. I am empty because the world is empty, because Christ our Savior is in the tomb, and it's not until the tomb is found empty that they will be able to fill themselves and to be able to celebrate with great joy. And then lastly, I just want to mention a little something about the limbo. We hear the descriptions of heaven, hell, purgatory, limbo, etc., and The one for the children who die unbaptized and untainted only with original sin without either good or bad works of their own election. That's the other side of limbo. There's two different divisions, the limbo of the just awaiting Jesus to descend there and the limbo of the unbaptized. Now, I just want to point out that our Holy Father, uh, Pope Benedict XVI, and the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith made a statement Released it saying that really we don't know if there is this limbo, this place of the unbaptized, and basically struck it from our Catholic belief, holding to the great hope that children, infants, unbaptized, because of the desire of their parents, because of their own longing for God, are indeed enjoying the beatific vision. Sometimes it's said that Maria Vagrata has not been beatified or canonized because her Mariology is extreme and that it does not relate to the Second Vatican Council. And this could be one of those instances. I thought, as we were reading a few days ago, her reference to the, the Muslims also could be another reason why she hasn't been beatified or canonized. I just want to make us think, about the fact that Maria of Agurda is writing in a time in which she is writing of what she knows. And so, of course, over time, things develop and evolve, and this is why we have limbo, because it was believed in then. But today, would Maria of Agurda have written that? I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year, I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of The Mystical City of God. I'm grateful you joined me today. And I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you and Mary pray for you.